0: This day should be quiet. Every head lowered into the pages of history. It was illegal for us to read, and then we read the laws. The laws were illegal. illegal. Turned horses into squad cars, hounds into warrants.
1: What to us
0: is your 4th of July? (laughs) Halos and kinks of fire, a middle finger, an ugly foil, a rain, a joke, where we are the punchline. (laughs) A lie until you make it otherwise. Welcome to The Vituation Room. I am your host, Francesca Fiorentini, as always. What's going on, guys? Are your dogs still around after the endless fireworks that was last night? Uh, My home is littered with just, like, shrapnel not shrapnel uh paper shrapnel it was all very scary unless you were outside in which you were like oh it's it's pretty still sounds like bombs but prettier um that uh that of course is a really important reminder of this holiday and how you know not only do we need to stop eating pig's butts but also you know finally achieve uh justice for black americans Native Americans and everyone who's been brutalized by this settler colonial project. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for being here. This is uh, our weekly show. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, welcome. If you're watching on Twitch, sub. Uh, Remember to click that little like alarm bell button that lets you know when we're going live. Uh, That way you don't have to, you know, you won't get caught off guard. I am very excited because we have a great guest. Um, her name is Kate Aronoff, and she is a journalist and an author who writes all about why we must dismantle the fossil fuel industry if we want to live. And honestly, out of all the things I've read and all the people I've met, she is the one who has truly articulated um from a left perspective, from a progressive perspective about uh, how to do that. Um, So I want to get into that a little bit more uh, later on. And in honor of having her on and talking about things like the Green New Deal, we are going to be donating tonight's tips to the Sunrise Movement, which I'm sure you guys know has put the Green New Deal on the map um, and also has been doing some incredible work phone banking and canvassing and working for progressive primary candidates. like Jamal Bowman, like Charles Booker in Kentucky. Um, They have truly been intersectional in their work. Honestly, like they've also, they have a a training camp coming up about how to uh, defund the police, which I think sounds tight. So you can still sign up for that. We're going to donate some money to them. They absolutely deserve it. But before we move on, I am so pleased to present my friend and co-host of this little podcast deepoo. Um, uh Mr. Uh, what's his name? Oh yeah, NATO Green. What's up, NATO?
1: So are we friends or what? Do we decide? <sighs> <laughs>
0: We've been having this discussion about whether NATO and I are friends or like just comedy friends. Like um Are we
1: friends or colleagues?
0: Right. Like do we just like do we just go out and like, you know, do shitty mics together? Well, not you know, anymore, what? obviously. Not clearly. Anymore. <laughs> how you doing nato
1: amazing yeah so good yeah. oh
0: good good yeah you had, you had a good fourth
1: yeah yep yeah. uh, i had a good fourth uh didn't do anything patriotic well i i did watch hamilton um and you know manage the cognitive dissonance of like enjoying the creative virtuosity that functions to redeem a settler, colonial, racist, violent, war mongering, genocidal project. Sure, um, sure, sure, sure. And like, and and seeing it, you know, and also there's this thing of like, like how the impetus for the book Hamilton was that people know about Washington and Jefferson, but that Hamilton got written out of history as a founding father. Right. And so the book and then the musical bring Hamilton back to center stage in our history. And then watching Hamilton, the musical, what I take away from that is that the person whose story really needs to get told is Hercules Mulligan uh, because he's legit the fucking (laughs) coolest guy in the whole thing. Like just a tailor, like doesn't run for office ever. He's an Irish guy. (laughs) Like people are like, no, actually. He's the
0: Guevara of the Revolutionary War.
1: Right. He's like, like also people are like, well, you know, Hamilton had slaves. It was the, you know, it was the American colonial times. They all had slaves. Hercules Mulligan had one slave. Uh-huh. Um, named Cato, and and he was a tailor who who he was a spy, uh, and his slave Cato did some spying with him. So that's like some Green Hornet adventure shit right there. Yeah, like, so um, <laughs> and 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 the the lines
0: might, is that a Marvel or a DC or a neither?
1: Neither, neither. It's it mm. it, it, it precedes both. Um, cool. So what's up, nerds? Um, what's,
0: up, what's up, nerds? Um, what's up, nerds? So, I know what I'm talking about. You should watch me play video games. I'm going to start a whole Twitch channel of me failing on a single jump playing video games. It'll be hilarious.
1: I'll raise your money. I haven't played any video games since, uh, I had a Nintendo in seventh grade and I almost finished Metroid. So anyway, so <laughs> because, to, because I think Hercules Mulligan deserves like his raps in the musical or some of the best lines. Yes. Uh, he's a great character. Uh, he's the person like in the history, when Hamilton got to New York, he was Hercules Mulligan roommate. They were like roommates. Um, and like Stanley Tucci and Ving Rhames were roommates. And, uh, and then, and Hercules Mulligan was the person who recruited uh, Hamilton into the Sons of Liberty. He's like stealing stuff from the British, killing people, but just a tailor. Uh, and then, and then yeah, the revolution is over and he's like, I'm just going to kick it and keep being a tailor, do that. And then he, he's like, becomes an early uh, he's actually also the person who is like one of the early adopters of Manumission. And so I've decided in the way that Lin-Manuel Miranda wanted to write the Hamilton story in a way that connected to his culture using hip hop, I'm going to write the Hercules Mulligan musical using Klezmer music. So <laughs> look, for, look for the Klezmer oh, this musical. this is
0: Hercules Yellow Mulligan. Vinyl, 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 vinyl. I love it. Uh, wow, Nato. A tell me of, how you really feel.
1: Of, a lot of uh, clarinet.
0: <laughs> please don't please don't desecrate his his clearly fine name. Um Nato, I wanted to share something with you and our audience. By the way, you can tip us at tbr-live, tbr live. We're donating a portion to the Sunrise Movement, but also a dope way to help us right now is to write a review of this podcast. Um, Give us a five star review. It helps people discover us as one fine. I can only assume Facebook hate watcher. Mm, I'm going to say 55 to 65 white a uh, few beers in right now. Probably very angry. Uh, just started watching or finished watching some Ben Shapiro. He's about to move on to Jordan Peterson has he's
1: just mad that there's a woman talking right now.
0: Yo, sure, 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 sure. Yeah. But, but look, NATO's there. He's he's there. Hello. Hello. It's safe. Hello. Anyway, he wrote us this review that I hope inspires everyone to write a different review and a better review. Um, because some of your reviews have been okay. Some of them have just been single words. This guy wrote a whole goddamn paragraph. And it says, okay, title, glorifies socialism. One star.
1: Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we don't really believe in rank, so like one star is definitely fine. It's just the star of communism. Um, uh, They say, Fran, strike one, strike three already. Don't ever call me Fran. Franny, Cheska, Francesca, anything but Fran. Fran and other co-hosts openly, I think that's you, Nato.
1: Miss Fiorentini, if you're nasty.
0: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Fran and other co-hosts openly support socialism. It's depressing that intelligent people buy into such a destructive ideology. It's also mind numbing. They broadcast over platforms owned by Apple, Google, and Amazon, but are so ungrateful as to criticize the very economic system that led to these innovations. The left in 2020 believes they would govern in a more morally sound manner than our current system, but nothing could be further from the truth. I can only hope their authoritarian tendencies become so obvious their supporters abandon them. Don't support these people. If you believe in a truly United States, they're filled with rage and hate signed. Some guy, some guy, I can't, his name, it looks like MJ raisin. So Uh I'm just going to call him MJ raisin. Um, MJ, you raised some good points, bruh. Um, I don't know why we're on Apple, Google and Amazon right now. Is Twitch owned by any... I think Twitch is owned by, by Amazon. So, like, thank you for calling us in.
1: Look, as, when Venezuela starts a streaming platform, we'll switch to that.
0: Exactly. As soon as... Yeah, as soon as they have a Cuban streaming service, as soon as they have internet in Cuba, right. we look, will be on that platform.
1: Look, we could go sit in the Wi-Fi park in Cuba, do some streaming.
0: Also, totally, bro. Like, I, I love how... The idea that somehow socialism advocates for violence as if the like capitalism has not given us the system of colonialism and slavery and plunder and looting for how many hundreds and hundreds of years like y'all have had enough. You know what I mean? Like enough, we've you've proven yourselves. Like th- this is the whole fallacy, and I just said fallacy, and I realize I'm stooping to this um actually level, but that's the whole fallacy of capitalism, my friend. So MJ Raisin, yo, think twice, man. Visit Cuba. Flights are probably cheap now. Go You're, to they, Venezuela. They
1: the, the Cubans don't want you know because you because they want your tourist dollars, but they don't want you to come and give them your stupid diseases.
0: This is true. Uh, But they do have universal health care. So good luck with all that here. Um, But for everyone else, please write us a review that's better than this. All right. Um, Yeah. Write us a review right now. Make it as long and maybe as obnoxious. And, you know, tell us why uh, capitalism has failed in your perspective.
1: Hey, Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw an incentive, which is that if you go and write us a review of the podcast on iTunes using that capitalist uh uh fascist platform apple uh and you, you and your and your review includes a citation of a book i'll shout you out on the podcast next week i want i want more more reading
0: okay so you got to back reading. it up
1: yeah i'm gonna back it up great great I all know right your, uh, write your sources in your in your one-star reviews
0: um please yes Proper sourcing. No Jordan Peterson. Thank you. Um, Mm -hmm. let's move on to our first segment, which is what are you bitching about? It's an icebreaker. Let's ask everyone out there in the ether. What are you bitching about? What's going on for you this week? Did your rabbit run away because of the fireworks? What happened? What are you bitching about? NATO? Uh,
1: Francesca, I'm bitching about polling. I think polling makes us dumber.
0: Okay, yes. Uh,
1: First, people are selective about what polls they look at, and we only get excited about polls that tell us what we want to hear. Like, the poll is like the Craven Lackey in the gangster movie. Like, yeah, you tell a boss, 53% of American likely (laughs) voters prefer Joe Biden. What? Second... (laughs) Like, there's all manner of assumptions and methodological issues that people who cite polls don't understand. Does the polling adjust for voter suppression and Russian hackers? Does the polling adjust for, like, bad campaign strategy? It's a poll. It's not prophecy. You know what I mean? It's not like the old lady down by the river looked into her cauldron of potions and intoned Remember the prophecy that the third moon following the seventh year of Anubis, when a plague has crept across the land, infecting Herman Cain and Kimberly Guilfoyle. Then there shall be a 72% chance that Joe Biden will win Wisconsin. Third, the questions are stupid and the people responding aren't qualified to answer them and they don't tell you anything. For example, this week, a new poll came out conducted by YouGov and Yahoo. That is Yahoo, the friendster of search engines. Um, and just to get a sense of how on the cutting edge of news Yahoo is, I looked this weekend to see what else is going on on Yahoo and the trending topics over there include Katie Holmes, the Beastie Boys and the Chicago State Company. Oh my God. What year are we? Definitely the Vanguard and the, and the Yahoo poll breaks down its answers by race, white, black, Hispanic. Those Mm. are the options. That's it. Sorry. 17 million people who are Asian in America, let alone 5 million Native Americans. Uh, and then and then the questions in the poll are stupid like do you think the country is out of control yes or no do you agree that America is an exceptional country worthy of universal admiration my favorite question is do you think this is a poll a question that was polled to people do you think life in America is better or worse than in Sweden a pollster was like yeah we need to we need to know, know what 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 the american people think about this and to be clear like
0: poll uh swedish chef duff man go
1: duff man right and and then and then so the, then the headline like if you re- if you don't read the poll itself if you read the news coverage of the poll the headline is 65 percent of people agree that the country's headed in the wrong track what does that mean so this is a view that is sh- that so if you dig into the poll 67 percent of white people think the country's on the wrong track 75 percent of black people think the country's in the wrong track do we think they mean the same thing like uh Yes, I think it's on the wrong track because a racist rapist is using the government to enrich his family and friends. Versus, yes, I think the country's headed on the wrong track because the blacks are uppity. What with their not wanting police to kill them for no reason? Like, that's it's not helpful information. So that's what I'm bitching sure. about this week. What are you bitching about, Francesca?
0: Wow, I feel like you didn't think about that very much at all, Nada. I've had
1: some time on my hands. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's been a good fourth it's been a very good fourth um
1: just just me hate reading the crosstabs on polling
0: i thought we i mean honestly to me polling is basically someone looking into a cauldron and like throwing in little you know horse tails or whatever after 2016 like after 2016 i'm like everyone's just pretending it's all sorcery nate silver is a wizard and but like whose tricks don't work You're, you know that's it right Although he was like one of the ones who pr- predicted more heavily that Hillary was going to win, would lose.
1: But he's so chicken shit. Cause he didn't like some people are like, we made a prediction and Nate Silver was like, there's a 67% chance that Hillary will win. So when people, pe- and then he could be like, well, th- th- because he's predicting it in terms of probability, any outcome justifies his argument.
0: The only poll I like, the only stat I like, by the way, did you know that 67% of stats are made up on the spot? Mm. Also, uh the only stat I like is <laughs> how how wh- how likely are to get that
1: struck- was 69%, bro.
0: Yes, nice. Was uh, how likely are to get struck by lightning? We should all know how what percentage chance we have to get struck by lightning every single day. That should drive us. That should drive us. Right? Good. No. Okay. Um, What am I bitching about? Oh, thanks for asking, Nato. Uh, So obviously we are in this ridiculous moment where we're trying to put the cat back into the bag when it comes to closing or reopening or sheltering or quarantining America now that we have a spike in COVID cases that we all saw coming. There was no respite from the first wave. And now You know, California just closed down in, like, uh, whatever, in-house dining or whatever, um, which makes sense. And things that I didn't even know were open, like bars. But there is no extra economic relief. So it really is on everyone individually. And as a comic, this is what I specifically want to talk about, comedy clubs are opening. And comedy clubs in places that have fewer restrictions, like Oklahoma or Utah, you know, or other places where COVID is totally on the rise, and I've seen some comics who are like going out to them and doing these performances. They're all indoors and they have varying degrees of like how much, um, social distancing guidelines there are. One says, Oh, well, the staff will be wearing masks. Great. Well, are the people going to be wearing masks? Cause if they're not, then that doesn't really matter. Um, like, Then in the the one in Utah was like, yes, everyone's wearing masks. You have to wear a mask. Tables will be separate and sort of far away from one another. But it's still inside. And, like, I don't know if you guys have read or seen, um, you know, the studies being done about, like, how people got sick. And one of them was straight up an indoor uh, restaurant where the ventilation system got the person, like, at two tables down sick. So, like, if you're indoors and you don't have a mask requirement, you're going – to get sick, you're gonna get other people sick. And yet, I'm like, comics gotta eat. Comics gotta travel. You know, comics have to book these shows. And I get it, but I'm mad. You know, I'm mad at the whole situation that it's leaving artists and venues in. Preach. Also book yeah. me, you know what I mean? So I have to make yeah. that hard decision.
1: Right, yeah, it's 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 hard to sell out when no one's asking. Um, <laughs> Uh. <laughs> yeah, we need we we need a we need a green new deal but we also need a dick joke new deal.
0: Exactly, exactly. In fact, uh that is we'll talk about that later because I have a lot to say about dick joke new deal. Hold that yeah, thought. Tr- <laughs> <laughs> Hold that dick. Hold that dick. <laughs> All right, native podcast making- audience, I was gestures. acting
1: out jacking off a bunch of dicks. Wonderful.
0: We're going to move on into the segment that we always do every week because we don't know what day it is. Please let us know what day it is. I didn't say what day it is, but I believe it is July 5th, year 2020, the year that should never have been that we will cross out and we will never repeat to our children. And we hope they're not old enough to understand what year and time is. Years are and time is. Um, This is the week where. It is our, it is it's, our look back it's, it's, at the week. Sorry. Guys, if you had the pleasure of living under a rock this past week and not paying attention to anything else, uh, this was the week where Trump held a 4th of July event for a mostly maskless crowd in front of Mount Rushmore, a monument carved into the sacred Black Hills in Lakota territory. And some find that really disrespectful. I just think it's ironic that, like, 200 years later, the white man would willingly infect himself with disease in the exact same spot. You know, that's like, wow, that's brilliant. That's chef's kiss. Um, Nice. Trump also announced in a very long speech that he would build a vast outdoor park that will feature the, quote, greatest Americans to ever live. As he spoke in front of a vast outdoor park that features supposedly the greatest Americans who ever lived. Didn't he didn't. Behind him?
1: Yeah. They're right there. I'm, I'm going to build like this, but only more so.
0: Yeah, more like uh, this. I'm going to carve more faces into this sacred rock.
1: Um, uh, in the speech, Trump said, our nation is witnessing a merciless campaign to wipe out our history, defame our heroes, erase our values, and indoctrinate our children. To which I say, uh, to paraphrase the great philosopher Tonto, who is this R you're talking about, honky? uh it's not mine sign me up and he said merciless the merciless campaign you know how there are those roving mobs of crazed leftists rounding up statues of dead slave owners and then the statue begs for mercy and the mob is like no mercy for you you heap of bronze
0: (laughs) i hear that the stone people feel more pain
1: Mm -hmm.
0: it's something to do with uh anyway
1: in, until this week, I didn't know that Mount Rushmore was carved by a Ku Klux Klan member named Gutzon Borglum.
0: Oh my God! And, and so That's I the think it's funniest Klan name ever. It's also Borglum? like
1: Borglum. Yeah, it's funny that like 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 racist white people love to complain about how difficult it is to pronounce other people's names. It's like sit down, Gutzon Borglum.
0: Gutzon <laughs> <laughs> Borglum sounds like when you've had like a good meal, but it just fe- it's just like. Turning, turning into diarrhea in your stomach. Sorry. (laughs) You know, you know, mm, good some Borglum. Yeah. Yeah. A little good some Borglum. Um, This was also the week where Alabama teenagers, if you guys didn't hear this, were discovered to have been throwing COVID parties and then offering a cash prize for the first person uh, to be infected. It's a news item that's been making national headlines. And Alabama teens haven't seen this much attention since Roy Moore.
1: Ouch. <laughs> uh, uh I feel bad about making like you know it's like Alabama can't can't catch a break. It feels like punching down. Like Alabama is always a punchline. Sure. Sure. And so just to like offset this story, I just want to remind people that uh Alabama also gave us Truman Capote and Angela Davis and Martin Luther King and Sun Ra. So uh What about Arizona,
0: nato You always you like to pick on the other A state over on the West Coast.
1: I do. Um, Did Arizona
0: ever give us anything amazing?
1: I haven't looked it up recently. Probably. Mm. They I gave mean, us that good. They, they gave us a, the the justification for that dope Public Enemy song. By the time I get to Arizona.
0: There you go. Are we raising Arizona. That was a decent movie. Okay. Uh, this was the week where. Trump denied having been briefed by his intelligence about the bounties being placed on American soldiers by Russia in Afghanistan, and he has yet to meaningfully respond to that news. He clearly doesn't understand the gravity of the situation. Trump thinks putting bounty on Americans' heads is what you do after a hurricane in Puerto Rico. Get it? <laughs> yeah. Bounty?
1: Who's doing dad jokes now? Hey! Uh, hey! Uh. So reporters are trying to, like, uh, the, the covering this, it's sort of the, the classic Watergate question about what, what Trump knew about the program. They're, you know, reporters are asking the question, you see this in the coverage, what did he know and when did he know it? And when they were uh, covering, asking that question with regards to Watergate, mm-hmm. with Nixon, the keywords in the question were what and when. Uh, with Trump, the verb no is doing all the heavy lifting here what did he know and when did he know it? Because (laughs) with Trump, the answer is nothing and never. Um, And that's always his defense.
0: How do you spell no? What kind of no? I've always said no. Uh, Also, I don't know if you guys, (laughs) if you guys caught that uh, despite all of that, I mean, and in that Afghanistan news, this was the week where both Republicans and Democrats on the House Armed Service Committee voted to restrict any funds that might be used to help trump remove troops from afghanistan um and honestly like this is where i'm so annoyed at how we make everything about trump and this president like we just have to stop uh like if trump wanted to leave afghanistan immediately democrats would stay in afghanistan for another 20 years just to spite him you know like what is the worst that could happen if we leave think about it what's what's the worst that could happen like oh it goes back to russia it's their problem again like great like, what's the proper diplomatic term for no backseas?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, this was moving on the week where Donald Trump Jr.'s wife and Melania Trump left out in the sun, Kimberly Guilfoyle tested positive for coronavirus. Uh, The CDC is apparently intrigued because it's unclear how coronavirus responds in a host that has every known STI and is 87% Botox. (laughs) Uh,
1: Kimberly Guilfoyle is is Donald Trump Jr.'s girlfriend, but as a San Franciscan, I can't get over the fact that she's also the ex-wife of California Governor Gavin Newsom. They were married when he was the mayor of San Francisco. So... Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of Gavin Newsom. What we know definitively is that Kimberly has a type and that type is rich, greasy, dark haired frat boy. And it's good. It's good to know yourself. It's good to know you, what you care about. She I like him tall, politics, dark and greasy about politics or values. She looks for two things in a man, inherited wealth and L'Oreal total control, clean gel for men. And that's it.
0: I've never heard anyone pronounce L'Oreal. L'Oreal. I feel like you really went for that. Uh, L'Oreal. Well,
1: I, I I had to look. Up, I I actually looked up what Gavin Newsom uses on his hair.
0: Oh God, and that is you. You spent too much time on that.
1: Like, did I mention that I had some time on my hands? <laughs> this is this is what happens when I'm left to my own devices.
0: I would just say pomade. You know, like some you know Clooney. Oh, brother, where art thou, pomade? Anyway, uh, late breaking news, you guys. You probably saw this because you live on the Internet like we all do. Uh, This was the week where Kanye West took to Twitter to announce his run for president this year. (laughs) Uh, And honestly, that's the least surprising thing that has happened in the year 2020 by far. Uh, Also... Does anyone else feel like watching Kanye West is like watching all of the side effects of Cialis play out in succession? You know, like nervousness, sweating, dizziness, confusion, irritation, overzealous belief in your own success. Am I just describing cocaine right now? Maybe. Nato, what do you think about Uh, Kanye's run?
1: uh, I I think that someone's going to make money. I think he he is uh, it's going to be as successful as when Kid Rock ran for Senate uh, uh, in Michigan.
0: Oh, those were such wholesome days.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, I want to thank thank you for the people in the comments for reminding me that Gary Shandling was is from Arizona. Also, Charles Mingus was from Arizona. So those are two great people from Arizona.
0: Also, RIP Carl Reiner.
1: Was he from Arizona? No, but no, he died RIP from Carl Reiner. Sure, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. definitely.
0: Without further ado, I'm so happy to bring to the stream, to the Bituation Room, into the Bituation Room, all the way from Brooklyn. Uh, She is a writer covering climate and U.S. politics. She's the co-author of A Planet to Win, Why We Need a Green New Deal, and co-editor of We Own the Future, Democratic Socialism, American Style, which I have a chapter in. Uh, And I'm so sorry, I've never done that to someone's bio before, like plug myself in their bio, but. Honestly, it's kind of like we're support. Anyway, um, she's also the uh, author of the forthcoming book, Overheated How Capitalism Broke the Planet and How We Can Fix It from Bold Type Books Next Year. Please welcome Kate Aronov.
2: Hi. Hi. I fully support you plugging yourself in uh, in my bio. That's a great essay.
0: I forgot to bring the book, so it was by my side. But I, I shall at some point during this discussion. I have a lot of
2: them sitting on my feet as we speak because my apartment is small.
0: Oh, nice! They're just literally just next to you. Like, hello. Mm-hmm. When are we? When are we being sold? Please sell us. Can you hold one up? Uh, yeah. At some point. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Just just stand by while we while we do a very shameless plug about democratic socialism, Kate. Uh, was the editor of this anthology that has a bunch of different contributors. I'm one of them, and I wrote a whole piece about... There we go. uh, The future of comedy or art under democratic socialism? Think lots of burlesque and very Mm. well-paid. Mmm. (laughs) Mmm. Um. Kate, it's pointless to ask how you are, but it is very interesting that you are writing all about a Green New Deal and why we need one in this time when it kind of feels like we are doing a dress rehearsal for what um, drastically changing our way of life might look like, Um, what do you feel that way? Do you feel like there are parallels and what are those parallels between the coronavirus pandemic and our response and a green new deal?
2: Yeah, I I think there are a lot of parallels. I mean, thankfully we're past the stage. I think when people were um, talking about, Humans being the virus, and that you know we're all screwing up the planet, and thank God, you know, Venice's there are dolphins in Venice again, or something like like that. Um, (laughs) So I don't think that's the parallel. That like if there's less humans, things are good. Um, Okay, but I think there are things that people are sort of reconsidering. So uh, things like you know the a four day work week, which has been a demand uh for labor movements for a long time just lessening kind of work time um and we're seeing kind of that a lot of people can work from home not everyone of course but um, that is a thing people can do uh Mm -hmm. and having less cars in the street having you know people not commuting every day is has some upsides uh there's good things about that um, I think we're also in a in a bigger sense, just saying that we can spend a lot of money really quickly, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was like very fast that Congress sort of put more than a trillion dollars out the door where the line against the Green New Deal and really anything we want for a long time has been, this is too expensive, this is going to bankrupt us, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, lo and behold, when there is a crisis that is recognized as a crisis, we can spend a lot of money um, to, to deal with it. And so I think that's been my my sort of big takeaway there's you know interesting things happening outside of that obviously but those are the two other things that i'm kind of thinking about
1: how do you how do you get our politics to, like to to remember that that we could find the money you know what i mean like i felt like like during the 2008 collapse suddenly they found a trillion dollars like overnight um and then like literally nine months later they were like no there's no money for healthcare. Um, <laughs> so, i just saw sorry. it no
0: you didn't i didn't it wasn't no. there What do you mean, what? suck
1: your mind uh <laughs> so like like is do you can you think of a good example of a successful political strategy that that like help people sort of remember things you know beyond that moment
0: set a timer dude i'm sorry kate i didn't mean to yeah <laughs> that's what i do you just set a timer on your phone oh remember
2: we've got a lot of money just remember that
1: remember how yeah. you can just invent money.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think it's 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 hard when like the thing that we spend money on doesn't actually make people's lives better in the long term, right? So like people get, you know, their $1200 check and maybe that'll be it. And so that is like the experience of of a lot of money being spent is like that and then, you know, a bunch of fossil fuel companies getting a huge bailout. Um but you know, when when a lot of money is spent to improve people's lives, they're they're more likely to remember it, right? I mean, think mm-hmm. about the New Deal, right? Spending, you know, a lot of money, getting people back to work, uh, funding sort of big public programs um, that you know very intentionally uh, made a f- had a had a big footprint in in communities around the country. There's uh, still I don't think all of them have been removed, but when uh, the Rural Electrification Administration sort of put up uh, power lines and electrified—you mm-hmm. know, most of rural America. Um, there are big stamps uh, on on the power lines that said this was built by the U.S. government uh, for you. And so, I think it's—you know—there are things like that which can can sort of leave a lasting impression in people's minds. And there are still, you know, older folks who remember the New Deal and talk about it as like this wonderful thing that brought you know electricity to their to their home. Not to plug this
0: book again, but like the. <laughs> uh, the, the book with the name, what, why am I forgetting the name we of, own the we own the future. Sorry. I am. Mm. Anyway, the book, uh, there's a lot of discussion about the new deal and specifically when it comes to artists who right now I was just lamenting are sort of stuck between this rock and a hard place of putting themselves in danger or losing work. Um, and I, obviously that goes, you know, musicians and any kind of artists who, publicly perform there was a federal works project that helped out of work artists um and had like federally funded uh you know theaters theater programs and things like that and books etc and like we spend a fraction of the money that other countries do on the arts and that's all in that book but it, i wanted I, to ask you a, a,
1: a, a uh, one of my all-time favorite movies cradle will rock uh um, about the the Federal Theater Project during during the New Deal, not to be confused with the thriller "The Hand That Rocks the Cradle," Also about good. the serial killer babysitter or whatever she is. Cradle which is rock. what
0: most people like today. Like the dude in yeah. our reviews thinks that the New Deal would be is just the hand right. that rocks the cradle. Yeah, but, but really, it's going to be
1: the... more like the Cradle of Rock, which is just like communists making plays. <laughs>
0: um Kate, you talked just briefly about uh, fossil fuel companies getting bailouts. We know that airlines got massive bailouts too. They were running like empty planes, you know, uh, and just burning all of that CO2. What? I'm burning the gas, I mean, emitting the CO2. What? Like, you wrote something that I thought was really striking, which is basically like, the way that our economy is set up globally right now, we have no choice but to bail out the fossil fuel industry a little bit. Like, what is... Tell me about that and then maybe link that to like your proposal uh, to just straight up nationalize the fossil fuel industry.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the sort of reality of, of our global economy is that it was built on fossil fuels and was sort of root to branch designed around around coal um, and then oil and gas. And so if we (laughs) didn't, you know, uh, have, have some sort of support for the sort of undergrading of our energy system, um, there would be real financial hardship. And, and indeed there are, you know, a lot of people who work in those industries who are suffering right now. And a lot of those bailouts have gone, um, directly to, you know, the executives of those, of those companies and aren't actually helping, helping people, um, who they should be. Uh, but, the oil industry itself is going through its biggest crisis maybe ever, right? And that's sort of why, why uh, the Trump administration has been so eager um, to pour money into it. Uh, and there's a lot of talk about whether this is peak demand, whether, you know, just there isn't enough demand for oil moving forward. Um, companies like BP and Shell are really starting to talk talk that way. I don't think, you know, they're not investing that way, um, certainly, and are, are just trying to seek bailouts. Um, but there's already you know, a need for what's called a just transition. It's already a need um, to, to really put people back to work. And what we've seen time and time again, whether it's the coal industry, just laying people off, um, sort of sewing themselves golden parachutes for executives, um, mm-hmm. is that companies don't actually care what happens to their workers, especially not in the fossil fuel industry. Um, and so bringing them under public ownership uh, by the U.S. government taking a majority equity stake, um, buying up 51%, are these companies which are very cheap right now because oil is so cheap uh, because because it's at sort of historic lows, um, is a way to provide an off-ramp for for workers into other work. And that, you know, can be in renewable energy. There's a lot of jobs to be had there, and that sector is losing a lot of work um, as well. But there's also things that can be done right away. There's three million abandoned wells, uh, mm. many of which are just sort of leaking methane into communities around the country. And so that work Requires a lot of the skills that people already have of working been working in the fossil fuel industry for a long time, so you can just put people back to work, basically doing that. And there are uh, states, you know, very conservative sort of uh, politicians who are calling for the government to to have fossil fuel companies do that. And so I don't, you know, I'm not confident we'll see nationalization uh, in a Trump administration <laughs> necessarily, um, but it is the sort of tool that you know is used. Often in, in you know the history of the United States and sort of uh, around the world to solve problems like the one we we have now, which is this industry that's just screwing people over and, and sort of failing on its own terms.
1: Can I can I ask some stupid questions? Please, is that allowed, please? Um, so the like me being someone who doesn't know that much about what you write about. Um, this assumption is that uh, I mean. Kate, you don't particularly know me, but I'm generally a genius. I just don't know a lot about your area of work. Wow! Uh, so uh, you know, I'm obviously one of the great public intellectuals of our time. I'm just not an expert in your field. Yeah. Have you uh,
0: heard my treatise on Hercules uh, yeah, Mulligan?
1: Yeah. I did. I anyway. So, uh, but the my assumption always has been that like it's it's so difficult to make progress on climate change because there's so much money to be made from the fossil fuel industry. but you're describing an industry that is like a dysfunctional failing industry that's being propped up by government subsidy, which is like so like I thought this is a I, I feel so dumb saying this, but it's like I thought capitalism wasn't supposed to work that way like that it that you if you had a successful business, you would succeed and if you had a like are they too big to fail? what's happening?
2: That's not a dumb question <laughs> at all. Um, just general, like public literacy about oil markets is like not a not a huge thing. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, so it is failing on its own terms, right? Ordinarily, like the myth of capitalism is that it supports successful industries to be successful, but shale drilling in particular, which is the thing that we do the most. Wait,
1: what's what's shale?
2: Uh, oh, shale is a, a layer of rock that you can extract. Gas. Yeah, so. Is it,
1: is it near the kale later layer? Is it alphabetized?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's right. It's right yeah. above, below the kale layer. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Good. All right. shale Which,
0: Yeah. It only powers Priuses, the kale layer.
1: <laughs>
2: uh-huh. <laughs> um, but it's a, to, to get fuel out of that process is very expensive. Uh, so it's this hugely capital intensive process. And for a while before the last financial crisis, it was just too costly. It was just unaccountable for any company to do it. And then when uh, the government, you know, bought a bunch of uh, bad debt from banks uh, in the last financial crisis and its response, it uh, lowered interest rates. And so it created this financial condition in which it was, you know, companies could just load up on cheap debt. And so that's what they did. And that's been the history of shell drilling in the United States is just cheap debt uh, that they have used to fuel, you know, this this stemming coming out of the 2008 financial crash.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did not know that. I didn't know they were so linked like that. Uh, And I didn't know it was actually all that expensive. It looks so I mean, it looks minimal when you see like a, you know, a fracking well. But underneath um, is awful and and really intensive um, I, let's see, I, I have so many, I mean, okay, back to the nationalization question. I'm sorry. I want to go back to that because is the idea that like, ideally to get out of this, truly get out of this, we, we t- assume these companies, but because the government doesn't have a profit motive, we don't have to like, we're not trying to get rich off of it. We're not trying to, let's say, um, um, And let's be real, like we're not trying to do what Venezuela does and say, okay, we're going to only use this um, money that we get from drilling and like redirect it into education, which would be um, one model. But if we are looking at saving the planet and human life on the planet, um, it would be no, we're not actually going to make money from this. We're going to dismantle it. We're going to shut it down. We're going to transition it to things like solar, wind, other things, renewable energy. Is that more or less? The
2: idea, yeah, I think that gets it. And one of the arguments which uh, which that that sort of gets it that's made against nationalization is that, well, you know, every other big oil producing country on earth has a national energy company, and they're not particularly green, right? If you think about Norway, which is probably the greenest national oil company on earth,. Mm-hmm. Um, their revenues are still really tied to oil, and so they have this, you know, generous social democracy, um, and a lot of that is is from oil drilling. I right. do not. I don't think a danger in the United States. We have a hugely diversified economy. Fossil fuel exports are not actually that big a part of our uh, of, of our national, you know, revenue um, right. in any meaningful way. And so I just don't think that the sort of danger um, of, of uh, nationalized. US fossil fuel industry becoming, you know, Venezuela certainly, but even even Norway is 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 a big concern.
1: Sure. I was I was really surprised in your article to learn how few people actually work in the oil and gas industry, like compared to other parts of the economy. Like it's a it's less than agriculture, is that right? And like a tiny fraction of construction and healthcare and education like it seems like it like read you know, it like it seems like it wouldn't actually be that difficult to just like let Give pay off the million and a half people who work in the oil and gas industry and let them retire. And then you're done. Like, you don't need to be like, okay, now you have to move from Texas to San Jose and learn how to code or whatever. Like, you know.
0: (laughs) I mean, and, and that's what's interesting about like things like a UBI. Like, I'm for UBI, but I'm also for just like I think internationally paying countries to not pollute, paying people who work in the oil and gas sector to take an early retirement, man. Yeah. Work three days a week doing something else, you know? And and I think that is a more effective use of money, especially when we're talking about climate change. Um, go to an
1: open mic, write some jokes. Yeah, working bro. in the oil refinery, man.
0: Yeah. Start, I mean, you know, imagining that we can go outside again. Exactly. Grow weed. Um, people are asking about the Green New Deal. Uh, Kate, you're writing a whole book about the Green New Deal. It's not it's it it's everything and it's nothing. Like it's if you want to just explain what it is and then explain how it is we can get politicians on board with it. What I mean about everything and nothing is like it feels like it's like it's sort of a thin plan. Am I wrong? Is it how many pages is it? But but it's also like it's evolving. It's like a living document. It's like we want to commit to having something like the Green New Deal, but not every not every little nook and cranny has been worked out right now.
2: Yeah, so the Green New Deal. I think everything and nothing is a good good way to describe (laughs) it. So it is a resolution that was introduced by Ed Markey and Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. is like one version of the Green New Deal, which lays out a set of principles and priorities for how to get the country off of fossil fuels to run on clean energy uh, within the next twenty years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it it is on the one hand that. On the other hand, it is on the order of something like the New Deal, which is uh, rewriting of the social contract uh, and a new understanding of what the government does for people, right? And so that is the sort of bigger bigger context of, of the Green New Deal, which is not, um, you know, going to be a set of bills. It's not going to be, you know, any narrow collection of, of, of legislation, um, but is really a new way of thinking about what government is for. Uh, mm. And I think that is—that's the sort of vision that that really freaks Fox News out. Um, but they're—they're is... right,
0: they're right to be scared. I mean, arguably, I think sometimes Tucker Carlson does a better job of talking about the Green New Deal because it's like, you know, just to sound the alarm about it. And it's like they want a socialist takeover, and it's like, yeah, <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> the can, can I ask? Like the the the. It's easy to become paralyzed by despair when you think about climate change for me anyway like and you know oh it's like my children are going to be climate refugees and uh and uh there's not going to be any more food um and everything is going to be fury road um so and that's the future so it's like it seems like the science what the science says is that everybody needs to do everything immediately basically to like change the arc of of so like to try to think about you know the the green new deal like there's so many different pressure points of like of like technological innovation and corporate behavior and federal action and like what can state and local governments do and then there are other people who say like it doesn't matter what the u.s does without if china's not a partner and so then there's this whole other question about diplomacy like these, I mean, I guess, so one question is I, I have is like, what is the role? Like, how much space is there for, like, it seems like the state and local government could do a lot. On the other hand, it seems like the city of San Francisco leading a big tree planting initiative seems like pissing in the hurricane, to use a technical term.
2: Yeah, that's, I mean, that that last part. <laughs> totally yes, to the last part. Yeah. Um, it's all
1: pissing in a hurricane. Thank you.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I think that is a, a real concern. But I think something that the Green New Deal does, which has been, I think, a weak point for climate movements for a long time, um, is the Green New Deal says, you know, this is not primarily an issue of sacrifice, right? And that we usually think about climate change as either these sort of like horrific dystopias or um, of like, we all need to give something up. We all have to, you know, wear hair shirts and like only eat uh, carrots and kale. And mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, and, and and the Green New Deal sort of poses this as a as a problem of abundance, right? Uh, uh, this is this is you know using the sort of vast resources that the United States has, the richest country that has ever existed, and sort of just figuring out a new way to, to spread that around. And I think, you know, it's helpful maybe to, to consider that things as they are right now in and, and the world not on fossil fuels are not great, right, for a lot of people. Um, so the, the transition into something else is not necessarily a sacrifice for everyone. I think there are you know, certainly fossil fuel exec- executives who will have to sacrifice a lot, um, mm-hmm. you know, billions of dollars potentially in stranded assets. Um, but for, for everyone else who is not you know, making out so well in, in the world we live in now, this can be a much better world and, and actually makes, you know, I think that makes the politics a little more possible when there is, you know, such a clear advantage for so many people.
0: Yeah. I I wanted to link, just like, just go right to it and ask you, like, you know, I've done a, a couple of pieces about this and I thought about it a little bit. I think you've thought about it a lot, but is it possible to, and to what extent, to keep capitalism and save the planet?
2: Yeah, good, very big question. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, capitalism gets used to refer to a lot of things. I think certainly given the timeline that we have to transition away from fossil fuels, things that we associate with capitalism will, will certainly be a part of that, right? There will be private companies who make solar panels and wind turbines. There will be you know markets that, that satisfy the needs for those things um, that are all sort of a part of this process because we live in a capitalist system and we're not going to sort of dismantle that before we decarbonize the entire global economy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, I think doing anything at meaningful scale about climate change means replacing capitalism as society's operating system. And, and what I mean by that is just that, you know, capitalism is at its root an extractive system, which you know, devalues land, labor, and life for profit. And that has proven itself to be incompatible um, with any sort of sustainable, sustainable economy. Uh, and so in order to, to build that sustainable economy, we need to actually just, you know, really rethink what it is that that society is valuing and what economies are sort of um, chasing as a goal that is something other than just endless GDP growth.
0: Mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm. um, Can we still keep Amazon Prime and the Amazon?
2: I think, uh, you know, uh, my friend Sarah Javi written a bit about this, but uh, I think there's a good case for nationalizing Amazon too. Wow, Um,
0: yes.
2: Which I am not the expert at, but just the sheer logistical network that Amazon has um, seems no one man. But to deliver like COVID-19
0: testing for the love of fuck.
1: I want one pen by tomorrow (laughs) and I want it for basically free. Oh, this is
0: not the pen that I wanted.
1: Send it it back.
0: Send it back. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think that's really what scares the right, right? Is that we are going to have to rethink how we um, value those things, how we value land and labor and life. And if I can't get my pen tomorrow, is that worth it, right? Like the thing that I just was able to do as of three years ago, I don't want to give up for some reason, even though I can't go outside and breathe the air right now. Um, And, you know, I mean, so I feel like, the the sunny sort of like, well, you don't have to give up your freedoms. We can have it all. We just switched a renewable. It's like, mm, I get that. Like, I understand that the Green New Deal wants to like posit something really positive. But I'm also like, I think maybe you we are going to have to um, sacrifice con- a little bit of convenience for a lot healthier of communities. Like, yeah, maybe this like I know a lot of cities around the world have done the like okay uh, your license plates ends in whatever a letter or a number you can drive into the city today or you can't drive into the city today and I think about and and that works you know it cuts pollution it cuts emissions and we could have something like that okay we we alternate work days and commute days Monday Wednesday Friday uh, you know Tuesday Thursday whatever some the Tuesday Thursday people really have it easy um, but. I've been thinking about this in terms of the pandemic because it's like every other fucking country has, except for Brazil. Let's okay, Brazil's over here, but every other country has gotten this right. Like they've been able to obey some sort of federal law, and people on the left are even like, "Well, we that's freedoms. Like we can't. How are you gonna? <laughs> you know, you know, contact tracing is authoritarianism. No, it's not. It's not." It's saving people's lives. And so I'm looking at like, you know, you've written about international cooperation around climate change. And I think about that with the pandemic and I'm like, yo, everyone's got this right, except for the United States. Everyone understands the trade-off between, okay, I'm going to have to stay home. It's a sacrifice of freedom. I'm going to have to wear a mask. It's a sacrifice of whatever my ugly ass face in exchange for survival. You know, so it's almost like when I look outside of the States, I'm very heartened. When I look inside, I'm very, you know, very
2: worried. Yeah, I mean, that there is a heartening story in that, which I think is is really a, uh, I, I think it's something to think about. It and I think it's given, you know, me and, and other climate folks some some pause. It's just how uh, resistant uh, the, some Americans are to the idea of change. But um know, that, that every country in the world has managed to get this right, I think, is a positive maybe climate story, right? Um, <laughs> maybe, you know, if the U.S. Uh, continues to be a sort of a backward country on on a number of fronts, including including climate and just its general relationship to to sort of science, um, then maybe the rest of the world will, will get back together. It'd certainly be better if the United States was not um, you know, run as it is now and could could, could do something better, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, there are, you know, we, we are not the world as much as Americans like to think think we are.
0: There's a question actually on Facebook, Haya asks, and it's something I feel like you've spoken a lot about, and Kate's awesome on Twitter, you should all follow her if you don't already, um, because you're very good at identifying targets, And Haya asks, is changing individual behaviors an effective response to climate change or does the responsibility rest with airlines, coal, et cetera, et cetera? And like, what is your, how do you deal with that push and pull between, you know, personal responsibility versus everything else?
2: Yeah, I am generally pretty down on the idea that personal responsibility is the thing that's going to save us. I think if it makes, if it makes you feel like you are doing something about this massive crisis. And it, you know, helps you to really wrap your head around stuff to, um, you know, back to work, to uh, join a CSA. Those are all good things to be doing. And I don't, I don't want to <laughs> discourage people um, from doing them at all. Uh, and I think that is a real genuine thing that people want to feel like they can have a, a role in this crisis. And I don't want to disparage right. that. But at the same time, uh, we know, as uh, you know, as we're seeing with with the coronavirus, that the real action has to happen at the federal level. I don't think it's it's up to you know it should be up to like fossil fuel companies to change on their own. It's going to be regulations that 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 makes that happen. It's going to be you know saying you cannot dig up as much oil as you currently have in your reserves.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
2: That that can't happen. And so I don't think it's either it's either you know personal responsibility that it's going to keep fossil fuels in the ground. It's not also corporations who are going to have their own, you know, free will and like, you know, commitment to, to some kind of green future do that either.
0: I have a question about oil reserves. Are they like diamond reserves where it's like, we don't really know how much there is. They just jack up the price and, you know, whomever wants their little engagement ring, you know, dust the blood off of it, whatever. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, is it, is it like a secret? How much, how much oil reserves there are or do we know?
2: I think we generally know. I am not an expert in geology. Um, Where but, are they? <laughs> but generally, what's what sort of in a, a, com, a com, company's uh, reserves is is a known entity, and then they're always exploring for new reserves. Somehow,
0: I mean, Somehow. it reminds it reminds me of I don't know. This is this is a weird. It's not a weird analogy, but I always think of like the occupation of uh, Palestinian territory. And essentially, like peace deal, right? Oh, we're talking about a peace you, deal. You so always
1: think about that. I always think but about you it. You always oh my God. think about Francesca.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything. Oh my God, this is like the occupation of Palestine. But it just reminds like me of like if we're really trying to stop, right? I mean, this is the whole like do no harm, first do no harm thing. I think about in terms of you know the occupation, where it's like the peace process has always been negotiated when settlements are currently being built. So there's there's never been a hey, can we just can you just stop doing that? You know, that's never been seriously considered by the Israeli government's never really been on the table. And it's I feel like the same with the fossil fuel industry and just climate change in general is like if we can't just stop, then transitioning feels I mean, you know, we're just kind of like digging in sand. We're just or whatever the right analogy is to feel like we're kind of just, you know, eating our own tail type thing because we're working over here, but we're digging over here you know, we're stopping over here, we're transitioning over here, but we're digging over here. Is that just how it's going to have to be? Or do you think there could, are moratoriums like a a, a possible thing?
2: I think it's possible. I mean, I think there's also an interesting synergy happening. Like just tonight, um, the Atlantic Coast Pipeline was announced that that is not moving forward. Um, this project by Duke and Dominion, um, two massive energy companies. Um, and that has been the target of. Uh, activist movements for for a long time, um, yeah. The being built, and so this thing is happening where um, the the sort of internal logic, market logic of the fossil fuel industry, which is looking at you know oil prices lower than they've been in decades, um, is aligning in this weird way with with the things that organizers have been demanding for a long time, which is to stop building new fossil fuel infrastructure because we don't need it. Um, and so those things are combining to to create in some ways less fossil fuel infrastructure and less investment in this stuff that's that's killing us. Um right. so, and,
0: you know. and I always want to shout out that Sunrise Movement is one of those awesome groups that mm-hmm. has been doing such amazing work, and we are donating a portion of your very generous tips to the Sunrise Movement, TBR-Live, TBR Live. Um Kate, anything you you want you want to add or say before we move on to our next segment I don't know why I'm speaking like that
2: no, I, I could talk about oil markets for days. but
0: <laughs> um
2: th- okay th- that sounds I, I had this question
0: for you and we can you can answer I know you know the answer quickly which is three immediate steps to decarbonize the planet like what would you you just dream one two three go oh
2: wow well. uh, federal job guarantee
0: federal job guarantee okay
2: uh national renewable portfolio standard. Um,
0: I don't know what those words mean together.
2: Electrifying the energy system uh, and
0: uh, yeah, Ele- and so moving it away from coal. Yes, uh, okay.
2: electric, electri- bringing more things onto the grid and oh, more okay. Vehicles. And yeah. uh, number three, I guess, uh, ban cars from a lot more places <laughs> would would be a big one. Hell yeah!
1: It was crazy to me to see like. I mean, I know we were joking about the dolphins in Venice, but like how rapidly the air quality changed in the first month of shelter in place. Right. Uh, you know, like the, just because nobody was going anywhere, it was really incredible.
2: Yeah. My hope for New York City is that uh, we eventually replace uh, parking spots with outdoor cafes
0: Oh, I love that. Oh, I thought you were going to say that there will be eventual dolphins in the canals of New York City because Manhattan will be underwater.
1: (laughs) Get get you a Gowanus dolphin.
0: (laughs) Battling the alligator. If there was a dolphin in the Gowanus Canal, like, run. Just run. Swim. It's done. It's done. That dolphin is not right. All right?
1: (laughs) It'll be like smoking. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Long time no see. Uh, all right, moving on. Kate, will you stay for our last segment?
2: Sure. Yeah.
0: Awesome. We uh, we switched it up. This we switched it up a little bit last minute. Um, we were gonna do uh, the least cancelable founding fathers, but we don't know enough about the founding fathers. No, I'm kidding. We we have something better because uh, our president Trump. Is planning a vast outdoor park that features the statues of the greatest Americans to ever live. That is not Mount Rushmore. Um,
1: Wait, I have to, I have to tee it up for the for the listeners. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this week in new segment of the week.
0: Oh, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Sorry. New segment of the week. New segment of the week is our garden of American heroes. Who would we want in the garden of American heroes? Um, Trump has suggested uh, everyone except for anyone Latino, anyone Asian, any Democrats, including uh, your boy FDR, Kate. Um, but Daniel Boone, the famous frontiersman, which I didn't realize, I've never seen the word frontiersman outside of like Disneyland or any kind of theme park. Um Davy Crockett, Billy Graham are among the people who are in his, uh, his garden of heroes. Also, Alexander Hamilton, uh, Abraham Lincoln, um, uh, who, who else? Amelia Earhart. That's tight, I guess. Antonin Scalia. <laughs> Where are they going to find all that rock? Um, all right. So if we were to redo this, who would we want in our hero's garden? jump in wherever nato have you thought about this
1: give me a minute
0: okay let me just let me just list so i had a two very separate columns because initially i was like donna summer marvin gay aretha franklin and then i was like francesca you can't just be all singers you know like all right but donna summer for sure mm-hmm. um bad girls and um then some a, a few other people sitting bull the lakota leader uh, Ella Baker, civil rights movement leader, uh, co-founder of Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, I believe. Asian American Juan Wong, Wong Kim Ark, who I just learned about thanks to the PBS documentary, Asian Americans who helped win birthright citizenship for Americans because he like fought for it. He was born in San Francisco, was like, what the hell? That's why we can be born into this country and have citizenship. Um, Mark Anthony, cause like yeah, hell yeah, New York Bronx. Salsa. Mark Anthony. Mark Anthony. All right, that dude is a. That is the coolest looking skeleton I've ever seen. All right, hot, L- hot hottest skeleton. In,
1: loved him in Man, Man on Fire, the Denzel Washington movie.
0: Was he actually in that? Oh, he was. Right. He
1: was. He was. He was the father of the girl who gets kidnapped. Was he good? He wasn't a good person. No.
0: Oh, he's a bad person. But he was a good actor. Sorry.
1: My favorite that man on fire is the Denzel Washington action movie set in Mexico City, where that is like hit or miss with the subtitles. Where like throughout the movie, they'll they'll be like, "He is part of a brotherhood." The brotherhood is called La Hermandad, and then on the bottom it'll be like the brotherhood. La Hermandad means the brotherhood. Thanks. Hermandad. La Hermandad.
0: Okay, a couple more, and then I want to read every. Well, okay, I'm going to read everyone else's in a second, but someone says George Carlin. Amen, Todd. Um, And then my last one is Lucy Parsons, unionist, radical, socialist, anarcho communist. Her mother was a slave. She was in the Haymarket affair slash riot, fought for an eight hour workday, fought for a 40 hour work week. Now we can fight for a 27 hour work week and like a four, let's be real, four hour workday. Who who you don't do any more work than four hours. Four is the max. Like real real work, four.
1: Um. Uh, <laughs> uh. Yeah. I. I. These are some great ideas uh, in the comments. Angela Davis, Tommy Douglas, Whoopi Goldberg, uh, Dolly mm-hmm. Parton, Sure, Cesar Chavez, Betsy Betsy Ross was actually on Trump's list. Yeah, uh, I know. James Baldwin, Nina Simone. Ooh. Um, those are good. Um,
0: Aaron Brockovich, no, no, as long no, sure. no. Kate no. says okay, just not not the Julia Rob. Not, as long as she doesn't look like Julia Roberts,
2: that would right. be a strange move on their part too. That would be Aaron Brockovich. <laughs> but Julia like,
0: Roberts. but like she was hot, so like we're gonna put her. In. No. <laughs> Samuel Jackson, no, maybe, maybe Samuel L. Um, from Pulp Fiction for sure. Mm.
1: Dick Gregory. Right. I would be in my Garden of Heroes.
0: Kate,
2: any any thoughts? Yeah, uh, I think we've named a lot of good ones. I would throw a Philip Randolph. Into yeah, yeah. The labor leader. Um, Pullman Pullman's
0: workers Pullman's strike yeah.
2: worker also helped. Like uh, I just learned this recently. Helped. Um, Desegregate uh, the defense production industry before World War II.
1: Yep. Oh, there's shit. A, there's a good movie about uh, uh, about him called 10,000 Black Men Named George.
0: Huh. Really?
1: Uh, starring that Andre sounds Brower. made up. Okay. No, no, it, it was like a you know, like made for television movie, but you can rent it. 10,000 Black Men Named George starring Andre Brower and like a who's who of black actors from 15 years ago. It's really good.
0: Nice. Oh. Well,. Uh... Well, FDR's uh, got to be in there, right?
2: Mm-hmm, yeah. Maybe. Complicated figure, but. Uh, okay. Okay. Did okay. Good, did good things. Um, say like Harry Belafonte. Ooh. Uh, be a good one nice. on theme. Uh, who else? Just hard to agree on Dolly Parton, I think. I, I... Dolly's not in there. Did someone say Dolly Parton?
1: Someone said Dolly. Oh, That's a great suggestion. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, James Brown, yes. Muhammad Ali, yes. Muhammad Ali, come on.
2: Lassie, mm. I'm going to put that to a vote. Say Matt Turner. The one. Yeah. Who was? I uh, led a massive slave uprising. Uh.
0: Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. Eugene Debs. Damn, we're digging deep into this, this Soshi history, man. Not that deep, but yeah, Eugene Debs. Um, bp oil spill responders sure sure why not put them everyone here we've talked about on this show how no one should get a statue but maybe everyone should get a statue it'll be like a it'll be like a you know like a yard sale vintage shop you know it's like where you're just like okay you're just going through it'll be like a wax museum
2: but better
1: Uh, there are millions of
2: people out of work there's a lot of work to be done
1: building a bunch of statues. I don't know if I've mentioned on the podcast recently that I lived in Cuba. Um, uh, if if that this if, if that details do. But in in Cuba like there's there's a plaque everywhere in the country that Cubans were killed by the CIA. Um like <laughs> and like everywhere like and were. they like like around the around the Bay of Pigs Like, every half a mile, there's a big stone tablet with the names of every single Cuban that was killed during the invasion. Like, it's not just, like, the generals and the— committee; It's just, like, every single individual gets remembered somehow where they were murdered by the counter-revolutionary forces.
0: Damn. Wow. There's also, like, an American warplane from the Bay of Pigs that's still on display.
1: Yeah. they were like, yeah, we we, we took this. We got Uh, that. Yeah,
0: and then we let everyone go. We didn't kill any of the prisoners.
1: They actually (laughs) ate
0: they they drank pina coladas and chilled on the beach for quite a long time. It was nice. They didn't want to leave. We had to force them out. Kate with what is your tell us your book again. Tell us
2: when it's out. Uh, So the book I am trying to finish now and will hopefully be out in uh, February 2021 is called overheated how capitalism broke the planet. and How we fix It. it includes a long section about nationalization. Uh, various various
0: things Um, I love that I love it I love it, I love it, that'll be so good thank you so much for being with us on the Bituation Room, follow Kate she is a good Twitter follow, whatever that means, she actually tweets unlike some of us Um, and love her articles read them at the New Republic, thank you so much for being here Kate, take good care
2: yeah, thanks for having
0: me and for all you numbskulls out there thanks you for being with us I said that, right?
1: Thanks to our um, producer, Becca Rufer, uh, uh, for doing all the producing.
0: Becca, you the best. Uh, thank you guys for the tips. We are donating a portion of them to the Sunrise Movement. Also, just get involved. They have so many great ways. You can get on a phone bank. You can uh, join their training on defunding the police. That's dope. Like I said, true interse- intersectionality right there. Love Sunrise. Um, And yeah, rate this podcast Listen to this podcast Uh, Join us next week on Sunday at 6 o'clock 9 o'clock Eastern And uh, yay, thanks for being here Remember guys, don't just bitch about it Be about it Later